Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be great if you could go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a star rating or review. It will help us get to more listeners. Thank you very much. Today, we have a conversation with Emma Cotterell. Emma is Swedish and has worked in the NGO community against human trafficking for 12 years in the UK and Sweden. She and her husband, Mark, have planted missional communities and founded a network for pioneer leaders called Venture 12. We have a fantastic conversation that covers anti-trafficking models and work, empowering others into kingdom work, collaboration, APES thinking, and more. It's a really good one, so I hope you enjoy it. Here's Emma. Well, Emma, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Thanks so much for inviting me. I look forward to having a chat with you today. Yeah, we'll have a nice little chat. I'd love to start with your story. Um, so if you you just walk us through uh, where you've been, where you've come from, um, and what you've been doing. Yeah, sure. So I'm Swedish and... Um, I've been in ministry for many years. Um, I've been working for about eight years in the UK. My husband's British, so we've been planting a missional community there. And we're currently planting a missional community in Helsingborg, Sweden. So we've come come back to Sweden. Yeah. Um, but my professional work has primarily been in, in the anti-trafficking world. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're kind of keen on the multicultural the diverse the social justice the kind of incarnational expression of church and serving the poor um as part of the work that we do but also uh, yeah heavily sort of focused on on anti-trafficking i have been for the last 12 almost 13 years now oh wow so what uh, brought you into that why did god move you into that place of working with in anti-trafficking um well it was kind of a it was a journey really i studied at a bible college in the uk uh, when i was 18 um for a year and i think i went there not really understanding my own faith but wanting mm. to explore God more and just understanding my calling and that kind of thing. And I was thrown into situations where um, I was serving the poor in different ways, people with mental health problems, people who were homeless. And I really found 
you know, I found myself through that work and understanding, I guess, the Bible and understanding the story that comes through the Bible and the life of Jesus in a, in a completely different way. So that was kind of the first step, I guess. And yeah. then I'm one of those people that had a very clear calling moment in terms of the anti-trafficking work at a conference where somebody, mm. I think it was from India or Nepal or something like that, was speaking about their work in anti-trafficking. Mm. And I really experienced God, God sort of move in my life and, and telling me that that's what I was going to be doing. Wow. Um, it took a few years um, before that actually started to sort of happen after that. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've been involved in that uh, in, in different ways ever since. And law came was like the the vehicle, I guess, that I that I took initially. But in, increasingly, it's become part of the sort of missional journey and missional story of understanding church. So I think I've yeah I've had different perspectives on that and and lots of different roles. So as you've been walking with your you know inner journey and in anti trafficking, especially in the in the law space, how is it? Uh, how is your faith integrated into both of those those worlds that um, that there's not really the sacred and the secular that it's all integrated? How has that worked for you, and what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean it's it's something that's sort of growing and developing all the time. I guess I like my apest is um, PA, so prophetic mm-hmm. apostolic would be my strength. And I often struggled in church as a young person and started to understand my faith and my relationship with God and where God wanted to meet me to be through engaging in, um, in justice issues. And that led me to actually not um, enjoy organized church so much, yeah. but it led me to the parachurch communities more. I found, you know, that I was hanging out with like-minded people more in NGOs and that kind of community. Right. Um, so I, yeah, so I sort of explored, um, explored ministry, I guess, through that vehicle, through that sort of perspective initially. And then I guess my husband's in ministry as a, a Salvation Army officer. Um, it's been sort of the, the, the journey that we've that we've made together in, you know, what does it mean to plant a church and how does Mm. that relate to my calling and, and how I, how I see the world. And is there a way of, of these things coming together and being one or are they Mm. already one? Yeah. And I guess my, my understanding these days, which, you know, has been um, a wrestle through different contexts and communities and, understanding myself and and the church that you know it's all part of mission it's all just different aspects of mission and it's become much more clearer in the role that that I'm in now since 2015 where God really clearly you know um, started talking to me about developing a local um, anti-trafficking model here Hmm. that is now being replicated to other parts of the country that I could see suddenly how the anti-trafficking work or to be linked to the local church work and why they are part of the same thing but different expressions um, mm. of the ministry of Jesus really and yeah I guess APEST has been a big part of that as well and growing in understanding yeah. of, the, of the fivefold ministry and, and the different leadership gifts that that um, expresses 
but you know continuing to journey with that hmm. well i think as you you enter into that uh, anti-trafficking space uh with her eyes especially as you are prophetic apostolic that you're looking at bringing those on the margins back into community you're you're going after trafficked people who are lost um and in situations which they find themselves in that are pretty harrowing and hard and difficult that you want to bring them back out into uh, community. What does it look like to get people on the margins, people that have really maybe been traumatized and it's been a difficult time to bring them back in and integrate back into, uh, into life and community? It's a long haul. It's a, it's a very long term journey. And I think, you know, I've grown in my own understanding of what that means over mm. the years. Um, and I think, you know, the anti-trafficking community in some ways is recovering uh, in some parts and some parts probably still needs that kind of metanoia moment of understanding that we don't rescue anybody. We can't rescue yeah. anybody. Um, that it's, it's not an event to rescue somebody and it's definitely got to be on their terms, you yeah. know, individuals who've been victims of this horrendous crime have got to make a lot of choices when they are sort of offered the opportunity to be free mm. in a sense, or they are presented with an open door or even an open window, you know, mm. just yeah. slightly ajar window, which is sometimes the case. I can't give them everything that they need to resolve their situation. I can't, um, you know, for example, I met a couple of ladies from Colombia during the pandemic in a hotel room in, in our city, just a stone's throw away from where mm. I'm sat now in our church building. And, you know, the reason that they'd ended up in, um, in this country was um, because all of the work in hospitality had disappeared. Mm. They'd been promised a job that didn't exist in this country, yeah. and they were basically lured into prostitution. And they were just crying, you know, um, mm. their families. Uh, just relying on their income to survive yeah. back home in their home country. And in that position, you know, I could fool myself into thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going right. to be the hero in this situation. I'm going to bring you out and there's going to be a quick fix. I'll just bring you to a safe house and all will be well. But at the end of the day, you know, their situation um, has got so many root causes to do with poverty, yeah. to do with organized crime, and to do with the fact that they are the sole breadwinner of their family mm. um, far away from here. Um, so you've got to have a very sobering look at these kind of problems and a very humble view. I take a very humble view as to the role that I can play in somebody's life. Mm. But in that situation, you know, I can, I can do a number of things. Yeah to help improve their uh, possibility to actually make a choice for themselves. And I can pray with them because yeah. these were Christian women uh, and I can speak truth into their life. You know, you're worth more than this. Mm. Um, so every individual case, you know, I've dealt with hundreds of cases of human trafficking over the last few years. And I don't consider myself an expert on human trafficking because every case is so unique and throws up so many challenges for us that you've got to, You've got to do the journey with each individual person. Yeah. Um, we had 
we had a lady that we worked with for I think it was three years we engaged with her um, mm. and uh, it, it took us nearly two years to get her out of the situation that she was in she was being exploited by a partner um, in prostitution yeah. and uh, yeah we managed eventually after two years to remove her from the situation place her in a safe house and she was doing really well Mm. Um, but then we lost touch with her. So we weren't sure. How is she doing? You know, is she really yeah. poorly now? Mm. What's happened? Has she gone back to the uh, perpetrator, whatever? Um, and only just a couple of weeks ago, she uh, messaged and she wanted to come for a coffee. Oh. And we got to see her um, years after all of this took place. And, and she was like, I just wanted to come and say thank you. Wow. Um, because I'm in a good place right now. And so mm. you've got to treasure those moments. You know, yep. it doesn't happen that often. Um, but it's, yeah, it's the long haul. You've got to, you've got to do the long journey with people. Um, and some of them, you know, will, will join our community or they will right. be on the outskirts of our community eventually. Right. But it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And I think that's, that's good for, for anybody. As if you're going on a mission, you're doing something where you're interacting with with other people that it is a long-term perspective that it's not a short-term fix that we want to journey with people walk with people um you know jesus was somebody who walked with people for a long time that he didn't just have short-term fixes all the time sometimes it was a miracle you know that they brought it in but with the the people that he engaged with his followers it was long-term walking with them speaking with them every day um, and, you know, as you're, you're going into these things and, you know, what is, what are some of these things that can correlate into, uh, our conversations with, with non-believers, um, in our everyday lives where we're helping them, um, get to a place of, of change or helping them make decisions on their own. We're helping them discover truth for themselves, um, have you discovered any principles that we could take as we're interacting with, with just non-believers around us? I mean, I almost only interact with non-believers in, in my work. And, you know, I find that God calls me to those places and I'm in one of the most secularized parts of the world and mm. one of the most secularized parts of this country. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I find is that people are tired of religion. Yeah. Um, but they're quite interested in the kingdom, yep. you know, when it's expressed. Uh, and so, you know, the kind of conversations that I'm having with police officers, with, with social workers, with the head of the council here, hmm. I think they are, the conversations that I have today are down to the long-term work of building building bridges and building the work, the foundations of the work that is having an, a clear impact on this city, not just for individuals, but actually strategically now. Um, and it's, it's that credibility. Like, yeah. what are you here for? Are you here to manipulate me? Yeah. Are you here to convert me? Are yeah. you here to tell me I'm a sinner? You know, why are you here? Um, the Salvation Army, which is the organization I, I work for, uh, didn't have any credibility in this in this region. In fact, we've been mm. very, very, very small in this region, and so have most other denominations because it's a, it's not ha, never had 
a major revival. So there's no sort of, um, yeah. there's not, not that heritage of understanding mm. the, the Christian story in a sense. Yeah. Um, so I think people want to believe um, what you can, what, what you can show them through. They don't want to be preached at. They want to see. Yeah. They want to see the kingdom. And actually when they see the kingdom and they might, you know, they wouldn't term it that way. And I wouldn't express it that way to them, but they want to actually get involved. You know, people that right. are, the most of the people that I send out into kingdom work in a sense are non-believers. Yeah. And I wouldn't tell them that I'm apprenticing them necessarily. <laughs> I wouldn't tell them that I'm sending them in to do a job for the kingdom. Uh, but yeah. God will point people out to me and say, you know, mm. invest in that person now. Mm. Um, this person is going to take you to the next level. And, you know, that most of them are not Christian. Right. And so I think I think there's a case of, you know, we we need to see people as God sees them. I think we put barriers in place um, for ourselves of how we understand people, how we categorize people yeah. in ways that God would never do. Hmm. We've no idea what this person's journey is going to be or the kind of impact that this person's yeah. work is going to have. So it's being humble enough, I think, to see hmm. actually I can have a, a certain amount of impact on this city on the basis of my skills, my gifts and what right. God's calling me to. But actually, if I lead through these people that God's mm. now revealing to me, the impact is not only going to be sustained from what I've done, but it's going to grow and it's going to be taken to the next city and the next level. And it's 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 taking that journey with mm. God, which is, you know, it's a humbling journey. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a hero making journey and mm. it's being open to the fact that God wants to use whosoever. Right. And he'll do it before they say yes to Jesus a lot of the time as well. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, but what does it look like for you as he reveals it to yourself and you see something in other people? Um, what does it look like as you're equipping others to go out and do the work? And, and what does it look like for you to to get that revealing from God, like to know that this is him speaking? Um. Well, it's, I've gone through lots of different phases in the work in, in Helsingborg, really. Initially, God spoke to me a lot uh, just about the city. Mm -hmm. It was very much just understanding the soil, the land that I'm in, um, the heritage that God's already kind of rooted in this mm -hmm. city, the problems that are there, you know, seeing seeing the God stuff and seeing the bad stuff yeah. as well for, for what it is and just taking time Um for that and then um and then only after that i think god started to speak to me in prayer and through through just meeting people and um, just being in places you know immersing yourself in the community immerse going to meetings i went to a lot of meetings that i was never invited to because i needed to be in places yeah and people would ask why are you here who invited you <laughs> you know oh but i just need to you know i'm just doing this i'm just here to listen you know i did a lot of that kind of thing in the beginning and uh and you know that that can be tough but also quite quite fun if you mm -hmm. if you start just getting the hang of that um and then i think god is just uh once i started to understand what god wanted me to do to 
I, I suppose you'd call it a vision, but it wasn't just like given to me in one go or anything. Yeah. It was kind of revealed over time as I was immersing myself in with people and in the community. Then, then I'd understood that, okay, he wants me to build a local anti-trafficking model to be rolled out in other places. It was like, okay, one step at a time. And God's been really persistent mm. with me of like, you only need to know this much right now. <laughs> and yeah, and recently it's been a lot about people and about how to sustain the work that has been planted and started, the foundations mm. that I've been able to lay down. And me seeing that, okay, I'm coming to the end quite soon of the job that God actually gave me to do for yeah. this season with this work. Um, who does he want to build on now? And, mm. uh, well, I can just give you one example of a police officer that I met. Um, who's, he's been around. He's been, uh, you know, I collaborate with, with mm -hmm. lots of um, agencies and businesses and, and other NGOs. And this guy has been around for a long time. He's never really attended my meetings that I hold for the collaborative work that we do together. Uh, but suddenly I just felt I need to contact him. I didn't know why, but I invited mm. him to a meeting and I felt I need to put some demands down. <laughs> I was like, are you sure about this, God? <laughs> like, yeah, he can take yeah. it kind of thing. So I'm having this, you know, prayer slash activating thing going yeah. on where I'm sending emails just to see if he'll respond. And he came and, you know, he took all of my demands. There were quite many. Um, and I just felt in that meeting as we were going through them, um, and, you know, you've got to be careful, give, you know, coming with demands to authorities. It's not always yeah. appropriate. And a lot of the time it's actually not appropriate. So I, was, I had to be quite quite convinced that, okay, this is the t it's the time to do this now. Mm. So I just said to him, look, you know, the work that we've done has come to a plateau phase. We can either decide that this, this is it. This is, you know, the end of the road in terms of the work, because yeah. actually we've either got to go forward now and, and push through into a, a new phase of, of growth or it's going to go downhill. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, it appeared that he was very strategically minded. So this mm. is the first police officer, because I work with a lot of operatives. Yeah. Um, he understood this language, and I even st started talking to him about multiplication, mm. you know, movements yeah. and all of that kind of thing, and he completely got it and went into, you know, thinking about action points that he could bring with him, so I actually made my wow. list of demands longer <laughs> in that meeting. And not only that, I met him, I think it was two, I ran into him, because uh, I'd gone to the police station to renew my son's passport. So not to see him, but I bumped into him in the corridor. And he was like, oh, Emma, by the way, I've spoken to these other police regions and uh, three of them are interested in your new project. And we wow. want to scale it out to all of these regions now. So I'm having meetings next week. And I was like, right. So that's why you needed to be involved. Yeah. So he's Amazing. like building on my work and I've got no idea what he's doing really. Yeah. But, uh, apparently I've got to work with some other areas now. So that will be interesting in the new year. Yeah. That's really, that's really fascinating. As you're, uh, I mean, I want to just move a little bit into movement thinking um, as we're looking at, at APEST and entire systems, because you're looking at collaborative work. You've been, you've mentioned APEST, you've mentioned, uh, if anybody knows APES language, you've actually been 
been hitting on different prophetic language, apostolic language, shepherding language, um, in what you've been talking about. Um, and knowing that all of these facets need to work together to actually see some change happen, that we can't just have one, you know, precocious little, you know, evangelistic output over there, but we need the whole system uh, to take place. What does it look like for you to, to see a system and know that, you know, if we, we plateau and we have a shepherding and we have a teaching moment and we just stay a little bit insular and we don't push through in the apostolic again, um, what does it look like for you to collaborate in the systems thinking and this holistic thinking uh, as it pertains to your city and the model that you want to create? Um, well, first of all, we we work um, on the basis of APAS in our team here in, in the church. Um, so we went through the, the journey of just discovering APAS as, as a team. And there's five of us, funnily enough, we're all strong. <laughs> Our strongest is in different different APES. So we've uh-huh. actually got a complete APES in one <laughs> sense, cool. almost like Jesus, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one might say. <laughs> no, honestly, but we, but we, you know, we've really enjoyed um, taking that journey. And I, for one, I think have enjoyed it the most because I suddenly realized that I could be free to do some of the things that, mm. you know, I felt compelled to do, but I always, yeah. always struggled with these expectations on me, both as a woman and around the shepherding teacher sort of mode of church that we've right. got used to. So as a church, we we have that as part of our sort of platform that we work from. That's how we make decisions, that kind of thing. When it comes to the anti-trafficking work, I'm fortunate enough to have on team with me um, a lady who is an evangelist shepherd as her mm-hmm. main. So she's like my second in command. So I yeah. pass all the clients <laughs> on to her so that I don't need to do the one-to-one stuff, which, you know, I'm, yep. my lowest um, is the shepherding side. So I really struggle with that. And actually, it becomes quite heavy mm. um, for me, all the trauma that you discover when you meet meet individuals. But somehow she has got the arms and mm. the ability to embrace lots and lots of people. Um, yeah, so we try and we try to play from our strengths when we can and obviously grow in our in our weaknesses as, as much as we can as well but the the starting point for all of us on team here in Helsingborg as part of the church is definitely that we should be spending most of our time as far as we're able in our strengths because that's what makes us happy right and uh, that's what makes things happen and grow and flourish um, in terms of the sort of collaboration with agencies and other organizations it's it's a lot harder but you can see the tendency to lean towards um the shepherding teacher as well and you'll get the same thing with institutions you know local authorities are organized very much in the similar way to the church with the with the shepherding teacher with all the in, in our country at least with all the bureaucracy and processes and procedures they squeeze out the entrepreneurs and the innovation Mm. um if you speak up against the system you're not necessarily going to stay for a long time Uh, so there's a there's a great need um in the authority world the governmental Mm. agency world for innovators and entrepreneurs as well 
And I guess that's why they like me here because I'm able to bring that that edge in in some places. Yep. Um, well, that's been the benefit I think for 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 all of us as we've started this journey together. Um, and I think now we've ended up in a place where other people can perhaps steward some of that in different ways. So similar journeys, I think you can take even with um, people who are not believers, but using yeah. that lens to understand what's going on. Yeah, it's it's it gives you I think it gives you perspectives, a uh, perspective of Jesus um, that's at work around uh, the city and already at work. In people, there are so many unredeemed gifts. I mean, just knowing, you know, as I've engaged in the Middle East, uh, especially among Syrian refugees, you know, we notice a lot of things where a woman at the end of a visit would, you know, take the Arab coffee that we we have drunk and you have coffee grounds at the bottom. So, you know, at the end of your Arab coffee, you're just chewing coffee. So you don't want to take all of it. Right. Mm. So she takes the the cup and she turns it over and she reads coffee grounds. Uh. Right? And so she's trying to tell us her future. So she's looking for um, some sort of an answer for the future. She has an unredeemed prophetic gift. Um, and so we know that that she inside of her, there's something prophetic that God wants to redeem and use for his kingdom. Um, and so with that woman, she ended up coming to Jesus and she has used that gift in incredible ways. And she's really spoken out prophetically with other people um, and other women. And it's really been amazing to watch her journey to see an unredeemed gifting that God places within us become redeemed and used for his kingdom. Um, and we can see that all over the world and all over in different people that they have these gifts already inherent within them. Um, and that we just have to start to pull those threads um, and then pull those out of them and then let God do that redeeming work so that it could actually be used for his kingdom. Mm. So what does that look like as you're looking and you're seeing these different gifts uh, in people? Um, how do you do some of that pulling out? Um... I think I try to get alongside people. Um, I think initially it's a, because of this um, suspicion, I, I think, against religion that we generally have in, in my country. Um, building relationships and yeah, being yourself with yeah. people is, is really key to begin with. And with some of the people that I've, you know, journeyed um, for the last few years now who, who, who don't believe in Jesus, but who are very much part of the, the kingdom work that we do here now. Um, well, I find myself apprenticing them in some way, even though we haven't got, we haven't spoken um, about our relationship in that way. But, yeah. you know, teaching them in some ways, both about, you know, anti-trafficking is a specialized area of work so there's there's reason for them to sort of ask my advice or whatever but just generally like walking alongside them on cases so I'll be going into Brussels with um, some social workers for example and yeah you know just one story of somebody's mind being completely blown by the fact that I brought tea with me Mm. (laughs) you know for me it's just normal right (laughs) you know I'm gonna have a conversation with a person who's in a dire place 
let's have a cup of tea, you know, yeah. the British way. <laughs> um, and for her, she was just like coming out of the place. She was like, what did you do there? You know, how did you think of that? I'm just like, it's just tea. You know, I brought a flask. <laughs> this is, you know, this is it's, like, it's unbelievable. It's revolutionary. I don't know how many times she's mentioned that to me. Wow. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I've done a few other things in life that were reasonably good as well. <laughs> but, you know, let's mention the tea again for the 10th time. <laughs> So I think, you know, working with people, inviting people in, mm. we do we do a lot of work with people. And I think, you know, in our in my country where we don't have a lot of money for mission and there'll be other places like that uh, yep. in the world, you know, I'll never be able to grow my team um, to be as many as we would need to be. Mm. There's no way. Like the money is just not there. I have to yeah. work really hard to fundraise for the people that we do have. So it's just realizing, okay, if I'm going to make an impact, I've got to work with and through other people's leadership. And what does that what does that mean? Yeah, it means me inviting them into my space and letting them into my secrets. Um, I don't need to be this expert on a ped pedestal somewhere. You right. know, some people play that game. Um, for me, that's not that's not going to help anybody. So it's inviting people in to see this is how I do it. This is not perfect, but this is what I've learned over the last 12 years. And, you know, this could work, this could work. What do we do in this situation? Mm. So in different parts of my work, I will, I will, you know, I'll invite people in and we do immersion. We do <laughs> apprentice and we do reflection yeah. together. Um, and we have, you know, increasingly people in the beginning I was asking people to come alongside mm. now I have to say no to people who want to yeah you know come alongside and do things you know we can't take on every project that people want to do but um but yeah we we in in every part of the work um that I'm responsible for in anti-trafficking we're always working with other people on the inside not just pretend that we're collaborating but we're actually working alongside and together with and I think um I think that's why we're still here with this work to be honest um and yeah it's the only way that we can affect the, the kind of things that we're trying to affect in mm. this society that's really important to, th to think about is that you have an open hand that you're humble that you're willing to collaborate that you're willing to say hey we need other people uh, to be able to be fruitful and successful. And if we don't have others, it's not going to work. And you're willing to work with all sorts of different agencies and different people. Um, and so that's important as we, we know a lot of people, I mean, I live in the missions world. Um, and you know, I, I lead a missions agency. I interact with other mission agencies and a lot of people talk about collaboration. Um, and, on the ground, it works better. Um, on the upper echelon of decision makers, it usually doesn't work very well. Sometimes it does. But what is it like? How do we truly collaborate one to another in a way that honors God um, and that doesn't just say, I'm doing my thing, you're doing your thing, and hopefully something meets in the middle? What does true collaboration look like? I guess it's allowing other people to shape things together with you mm. um, pre being prepared for the messiness mm -hmm. and 
you know, if I if I bake with my kids, with which I've been doing um, for Christmas, yeah, um, I could go into that thinking we're going to make some perfect <laughs> Christmas cakes, <laughs> and I will be disappointed. Yes, <laughs> because they're not going to do things the way that I wanted them to do. Yep. So it's it's a case of like, okay, I could either make perfect cakes the way I want them to be, and then I have to do it at night when they're asleep. Or we'll do them together and they will be neatly original in <laughs> in every shape of the word, you know. Um, so I think, I just think um, high invitation is really key um, to, to collaboration and allowing people to have a say, allowing people to feel and experience that they have ownership. Otherwise, I'm just manipulating people into my vision. Yeah. Um, but I think God's vision is always going to be bigger than my vision. So I mm-hmm. might come in with a vision where, or God might give me part, part as a vision of what he wants to do. Somebody else in the room might actually have a dream or a right. vision that they may not that's know good. is from God, but that it's, uh, that's the other part of the puzzle. And I don't yeah. know that. And so I've got to be careful that I'm not overstretching my influence. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that you can can say about influence. And it's being attentive to, to other people and having that, I guess, for me, it's a lot about having the prophetic wisdom of who do I collaborate with? Yeah. That's the more important question than how do we collaborate? Because we've got to find each other and everybody's got to contribute to what that collaboration looks like. But the question that I've got to really invest in, in prayer and in, you know, immersing myself in spaces because that's how I listen is who do I collaborate with? Mm. And that's, I think, the hard lesson that I've had to learn over the years with collaboration is that you can mm. really go quite wrong yeah. if you choose the wrong people to collaborate with. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. As you're a you know, prophetic apostolic person, what does it look like for you to be using your, your apostolic voice um, and your apostolic voice within the church and then in, in community? Um, what does that look like for you um, in your world? I've started lots of new things over over the years. I never, I mean, it's it's only the last few years that I've understood myself as having an apostolic gifting. I wasn't really into mm. the fivefold before I started reading Alan Hirsch and doing all of these different courses and what have you. And that's the last um, four or five years or something yeah. like that. Um, but I think the way things work for me, because I'm a PA in my, in my gifting is that I'll spot something that I feel God has a strong, um, you know, it's got heart for, or there's something, there's something wrong here. I can feel mm. God nudging me, you know, um, and I'll, I'll get a strong desire to change something or to yeah. do something about something. And my response to that feeling is to create something new, to start a new program, to set up a new project, to create a new initiative. So I think um, my apostolic is responding to my prophetic. Yeah. Uh, so in a way that becomes the answer to the question that God put in my heart in, mm. in one sense. Um, more recently in terms of my exploration of the, female apostolic which Mm -hmm. is something that's much much more recent i have um come at it from a different perspective but that's quite new so i don't know if Mm -hmm. i'm sort of ready to reflect on that yet but yeah perhaps there's a new 
there's a new season or new way that God wants to to teach me about. But primarily, it's been coming from a, a prophetic urge. Um, mm. So almost like a prophetic act of standing up against something or standing with someone. And we do that through this initiative. And yeah. um, this is how, you know, um, I'm contributing in some way to kingdom work. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think it's, I mean, for for a lot of women, it's important to know that, you know, their apostolic voice is, is necessary um, and needs to be heard. And then there's, there's also a different perspective uh, that, needs to be engaged in the the female apostolic i mean i i am in immersed in in a place where there's a lot of female apostolic leaders around me my wife being one and then you know our international leader at uh, my mission agency is as a female Uh, but we have a lot of that there so when when people uh don't have that around I think it's strange and it's weird. Um, <laughs> I think it's so. I think that it's really necessary that we we let people know that they do have a voice, but everybody actually has a voice and has a, a sphere of influence that they could can use. That a lot of times our voices has have been squashed uh, and they are not being listened to. They're not being heard. Um, but there is a voice in there that God has given for you to use um, and a gifting that he's given you. And it's for everybody. It's not just for the select few. Um, mm. And so what is it for you as you've been been walking with people that may have, you know, their voices crushed? Um, how do you how do we give people the permission to use their voice? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's part of the sort of the inner inner healing journey. Um, what I've what I've kind of discovered since I guess God started to nudge me in that area, and I've frankly I was avoiding it beforehand because yeah. I was like I don't actually want to read those difficult Bible passages that everybody's talking about in terms of female <laughs> leadership. So I'm just going to avoid them and do my own thing <laughs> and do what I know that God wants me to do. Um, but since since starting to look at it more seriously and, and and studying more and exploring more, I think there's a there's a structural piece that we need to grapple with as church, um, which is to do with the history of the church, mm-hmm. which is to do with female apostles in the Bible and the early church, um, which is about telling a different story of our church and of our you know the experience of movement within within the church. So yeah. I, I can really see that the, for me, the issue of <laughs> the lack sometimes in, in a lot of places, fortunately not in yours, of female yeah. apostolic leaders is, is um, potentially unhelpful to frame it in that way. We've got to frame it as a movement issue because there are so many other factors at play uh, when we're talking about that. And coming back to people who don't experience that they've got a voice I think there are so many things that would be released if there was a new story told over the church if more women were aware of actually the heritage of female apostles Mm. um, and movers and shakers in the early church in particular and I find as I'm exploring together with some women currently in a 
seniors band as it's known within the movement leaders collective a group of women coming together to explore uh, uh, female apostolic leadership you know even looking at early art has been really impacting mm. for them as it reveals a lot about the history um, that we're actually mm. a part of you know the the witnesses on yep. whose shoulders we're standing but we weren't aware mm. so I think a lot of the kind of inner healing that needs to happen in within individuals potentially will come quite organically if we deal with some of the some of the notions and the um tradition and the theology that we have been brought up with so it's unraveling all of that and and telling a new telling a new story mm. and it's connected to apest because it's so interconnected with you know the clergy uh, as opposed to the priesthood of all believers and yeah. the charismatic gifts being given to anybody with with the holy spirit and and all of those kind of things so it's connected with big issues even the trinity i'm looking right. at now i'm reading <laughs> on, on all of these uh, massive topics but i think yeah we could deal with it on in mm. on an individual level but i think for more movemental purposes for the church yeah we could get there much quicker if we dealt with our past a bit more and mm. reframed the story. I love that. Deal with our past, reframe the story. I think that's, man, what a great gift to the church if we could be able to do that. And what a great gift for every individual if we can reframe the past, um, right? That we can tell a different story. Like that's, that's fantastic. You know, this is some of that inner healing work that, you know, bringing Jesus into into memories um, and of of trauma for me that I've gone through has really redefined what my story has been. Um, that knowing that Jesus was there and that He could heal that aspect, I get to actually tell a, a new story moving forward. Um, so I think that's really important for the church and really important for individuals. I love that. So thank you for that. Um, I have two questions at the end here. One is if you go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Don't run so fast. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need to run mm. at that speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so just, slow down. And that's interesting. I think... So many people that I talk to um, for this podcast, that's their answer is to slow oh, down. Really? Yeah. And uh, I think I think it's something really worth considering um, mm. in our lives is we we need to learn how to slow down um, and that God is actually doing a lot of the work and we're mm. not the savior. Right. Exactly. Uh, and uh, anything you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Um, well, I'm reading a really good book on the Trinity by um, Reverend Sarah Coakley at the moment. Mm. Um, God, Sexuality and Gender, I think it's called, and it's a systematic theology on the Trinity. And it's kind of reframing the conversations that we're having mm -hmm. about gender. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's uh, changing a lot of my perspectives and understanding mm. of, of uh, yeah, just how we're, how we're having conversations about gender in the church, which tends to be you're either a feminist or you're conservative. Right. <laughs> um, but she takes a, 
she takes a different view. So that would be my sort of very current yeah. um, recommendation. I love it. Well, thank you. Uh, Emma, it was a privilege to talk to you. It was really fascinating for me to, to hear your journey. Um, and so thank you very much for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.